Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. We haven't covered this case before, but the arrest in the trial last week of Charlie Adelson, actually a periodontist oral surgeon who was convicted of murder in the first degree after a trial, but this is one of the most convoluted cases. And basically what it is about is his sister, Wendy Adelson, who was in a contentious divorce with her ex-husband, Daniel Markle. And it's almost like you need a scorecard for this case. And I'll put it up on the screen. This is the scorecard you can see. Dan Markell married to Wendy Adelson. Underneath is Harvey Adelson and his wife, Donna Adelson. Harvey Adelson is a wealthy oral surgeon. And there's his son, Charlie Adelson, who is also an oral surgeon, who now is a convicted murderer of murder first degree. And next to him is Catherine Maguana and her ex-husband, Sigfredo Garcia, and above him, a man named Luis Rivera. For some reason, this family thought it would be easier to plot to kill their daughter's ex-husband than it would be to fight it in court with a divorce attorney. And they must have thought, instead of being the Adelsons, they were the Sopranos. And they, for very smart people, they were pretty damn stupid in this case. And we're going to go through all the stupid things they did. And just amazing when you think that very smart people can do something this horrendously stupid. But let's follow. Let's, let's watch. This is police off the cuff. So hang on. We're about to go into the police off the cuff zone. There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir. They have the car stopped at 10 and Grant's microbiter. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Before I bring on my co-host, Professor Mike Geary, this is Donna Adelson, and she is, of course, the matriarch of this family, 74 years old. And she was involved, and some people think the most involved, in this plot to have her son-in-law killed. I'll just give you a few bullet points on this. Daniel Markle was shot dead in July 2014 outside his Florida home. And Luis Rivera and Sigfredo Garcia were charged with his murder. Authorities believed, however, that Markle's in-laws may have played a role in his death, and they launched a sting investigation. Markel and his ex-wife, Wendy Adelson, had just gone through a contentious divorce and were fighting over custody of their two sons before his death. Garcia avoided the death penalty and pleaded guilty 
to second-degree murder. He will now serve seven years in prison in addition to the 12-year sentence he was serving uh, due to an unrelated crime. We're going to go over some of the facts, including some of the people testifying, which is, is unbelievable that the defendant in this, Charles Adelson, who just got convicted last week of murder first degree, he testified. Again, we saw in other cases we covered, Alec Murdoch testified. And it always seems when you a defendant testifies, it's either a Hail Mary pass or they're up against the wall and it's the only thing they could possibly do. Joining me tonight is retired NYPD sergeant, professor at Albertus Magnus College in Connecticut. Welcome to the show, Mike Geary. Hey, Billy. Good evening. Thank you for having me on. Good evening, Mike, everyone. Is this an unbelievable case? I mean, I didn't know uh, we were paying so much attention to the Gilgo Beach case and to right. the Coburger case. This somehow slipped by and I was just like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. Yeah, Billy, it didn't. Um, you didn't have the uh, the amazing sensationalism of the uh, of the case in Idaho with Brian Koberger because it was four young people killed all at once. And that was around the holidays last year. And the Gilgo Beach killer was that serial killer case that couldn't be solved for a decade. You know, we're all talking about that. This, um, there's only, I, I don't mean to belittle, there's only one death and it had stretched out from 2014 all the way to the present. So along the lines, it was a uh, well-known case for a while but then it petered out and other cases took its place. But it is an amazing adventure. Scary to see what people can intelligently, intelligent people could do. Just amazing. Um, you know, Mike, I'm just going to put up on the screen one after another. This is um, uh, Rivera. Uh, his name is Luis Rivera. And he was one of the, uh, he was one of the people charged with this murder. Mm -hmm. However, I believe the shooter is on the screen now. Right. His name is Sigfredo Garcia. That's correct. And uh, the 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 person behind this was his ex-wife. With I'll put on the screen right now. This is the ex-wife mm -hmm. of Sigfredo Garcia. Right. And um, she was uh, Kath her name is uh, Catherine Mag Magwana, and she right. was having an affair with Charlie Adelson. Well. Oh my God! How could we possibly put this together if we're the police, right? And right. there's Charlie Adelson right there, who just last week was convicted of murder first degree. So all of these things. And here's, here's the couple. The um, that is Daniel Marquez, and of course his ex-wife Wendy Adelson. Mm -hmm. And again, a contentious divorce. Let's hire an attorney, and let's. Settle this some way. Let's not hire two Latin kings, which these guys were. They're both of these guys are Latin kings. Oh, yes, they're very trustworthy. And one of them is the ex-husband of the woman that the defendant was having an affair with. <laughs> right. You know, it goes to show you that some people who may have, you know, advanced degrees, college degrees, medical degrees, and have a high IQ, it doesn't mean that they have any kind of common sense. And that's sad because this was, as you said, it was contentious divorce. They were getting pretty much to the end of the divorce. They were now going to discuss uh, child support, if any, and they were going to discuss visitations and, and, you know, and that sort of thing. And so 
and we're not, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it as a, as a married person, when, when you split, you know, up and you're going to have to take care of the home, the residence, there may be selling of the residence. There may be people moving, uh, the, uh, putative spouse who gets custody of the children may, uh, then you know get child support, be it a man or woman, depend doesn't you know it depends on the circumstances. But it wasn't a life and death situation. It was two people getting divorced, and this goes on th hundreds of thousands of times or a million times a year in America, and people get through it. And for some reason, for some reason, uh, you know Wendy and her mom Donna and her father Harvey and their son. Somewhere along the line, it, there's different people coming in and out of the picture. And at one point, they're all kind of in agreement. Yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to hire two Latin kings. This is problem solving 101. Not. This is what uh, a lesson in what not to do. And it's scary that these people who uh, are consider themselves respectable, taxpaying American citizens, this is what they're doing. It's shocking. You know, Mike, some um, the FBI was in on this case and they mm -hmm. did something very well, not very unusual, but unusual. They had an undercover uh, approach, uh, mm -hmm. Donna Adelson. And I'm going to play some video of that. And what they called it, they were on a wiretap right. on numerous phones of all the family members. So what the FBI called this was the bump. And the bump was they had an undercover person approach Donna Adelson and say that Luis Rivera, who was in prison, uh, who was one of the murderers, he needed money. And he right. helped her family out. Now it's your chance to help him out and his family. Now, Donna Adelson, of course, played dumb. I don't know what you're talking about. And he handed her an envelope. I have no idea. But what that did, it was a law enforcement technique. It was called the bump because it. what we talk about shaking the tree, they mm -hmm. shook the tree. Oh, yeah. So right away, what she did was get on the phone and start. everyone started calling each other in the family. And that resulted in the FBI getting a great deal of evidence that they needed to prosecute. Uh, so let me play a little bit of this. Pretty interesting, actually. It's on the screen. Pause it for just a moment. All right, so on the left side of the screen, we've got two different things going on here. Can you explain what we're looking at? Yes, on the left side is a body recorder that the undercover agent was wearing, and it has video and audio on it. So what you're hearing is is audio coming from the undercover agent and his video. On the right side is a separate video taken from surveillance agents that were in the area watching. All right, so the woman we're seeing on the stairs here, is that Donna Adelson? It is, and she's exiting the icon which is on South Beach, her, her condominium. That's the stairs coming from her condominium toward the street. All right, please proceed. Okay, okay.
Excuse me, Mrs. Adelson? Hey, Dylan, just want to give you this. Um, listen. Do <laughs> don't be scared. Listen, just want to let you know that uh, we know that your family uh, has been taking care of Katie and her friend Google for quite some time. After you were involved in more than And I want to let you know that my brother, he's incarcerated. He helped your family with this problem you guys had up north. And we want to make sure that he's going through some rough times. We want to make sure that you take care of, of, of what he's going through, the way you're taking care of Katie and uh, Tuba. Well, this will explain it. Thank you. goes inside and retrieves the children and then goes back to the icon back across the street. And are those Wendy and Dan Markell's children? Yes, they are. So they're in school just literally less than a block over? Right across the street from where she lives. Okay. And when the undercover bumps Mrs. Adelson, does she, do we know if she had a cell phone on her person? Uh, we don't know that. Okay, but you didn't take one out and make a phone call. She did not. At this time, Your Honor, I will ask to publish what's marked as call A on the, have I introduced this? Let's introduce the wire calls themselves. And those are 108, Your Honor. 108, I believe, has already been admitted over objection. Okay, and they're already in. So this will be call A from 108 that we'd like to publish at this time. This is one of the calls that results from the bump. Right now, I'm in Park Boulevard. Okay. So I'm, I'm right now in the town in Chile, and I'll be at his office in the, in the afternoon. Okay. So the boys will finish their, um, 
Basically, what this bump did was the mother, Donna, who's just been arrested, uh, this made her call her son with all kinds of incriminating uh, evidence that they, of course, you heard them reading it in court. I don't want to go through the whole thing because it's very, it's a little bit difficult to hear it. But that was, of course, the FBI's intention was to create this, this nervousness about what was going on, and then all the co-conspirators started calling each other. Yeah, Billy, it's great because um, she was rattled a little bit on the street, and she was taken by surprise. Obviously, you could see that in the video. And then she's going home. She's talking to her mother, you know, uh, her um, uh, her her father. Uh, he probably didn't not nearly know as much as the mother. But you just think about it. Wendy, the um, the the the, uh, the wife of, of Dan, who was killed, she's the one who, um, and everybody realizes it. She's the one who um, gets the most out of his death. That benefits the most out of his death. And at one point, the police actually spoke to her ex-boyfriend, and he probably realized that she's something of maybe a sociopath. And he's, he kind of let the FBI know that, you know, there's some really bad stuff going on in the family. And uh, it's, it's not some sort of just a random shooting on the street where Dan was in the wrong place at the wrong time in his car, in his driveway. And he was just like a victim of a, of a random carjacking or robbery. And so um, it was a good thing. But the, the, the idea that you, scare the hell out of everybody and just stir the pot, see what happens. The phone calls. I mean, you know, you're going to be sitting on that phone, listening to that uh, wiretap, however they do it nowadays. And uh, you know, you're not getting anything. This, they probably were shocked at what they got fairly quickly. Everybody just double checking with everybody else as to what they know, who was taking care of, how much it was this is uh, as any of the shooters in legal trouble, um, you know, they need money. Who's going to get it for them? How much? It's it's a beautiful thing for law enforcement. 
This is from Lauren Crime. I want to play a little of this. We have, and I've been telling people this for a long time. Everybody wants Wendy arrested. Everybody hates Wendy. I understand that. Who gained more than anybody? Wendy did. But here's the problem you got. You've got some tape recordings in this case that exculpate Wendy. Her brother and her mother are talking and says, when the bump happens, who does this involve? And Donna says, the two of us, inferring Charlie and Donna. Later in the tape, when it's getting more inconvenient for them, both of them are saying, Wendy doesn't realize how good she has it. No, she really doesn't understand how lucky she is. Another inference that Wendy had no knowledge or participation. And then finally, you have the issue with the subpoenas. She was given derivative use immunity three times to testify in the trials, which is a hurdle for the state now to use any of that information mm. against her. Her lawyers mm. will have an expert. And I, I was just informed an hour ago that Wendy sought an expert in Castigar issues in Atlanta for the very purpose of protecting her and preventing her from being charged. I do not believe Wendy will be charged. I don't think they have enough evidence. I think the Castigar issues are too significant. And I think some of the evidence they have is exculpatory against her. Yeah, that, that is an unbelievable analysis. And the fact that the prosecution was using her uh, is, is something that makes just from a credibility standpoint that extremely difficult. Well, you listen, you talked about the bump, and a big part of the case is what yeah. authorities referred to as the bump of Donald Adelson, which is when an undercover agent pretending to be a blackmailer approached Adelson outside her home to get the family to start talking about Markel's murder. And I've said this before, Tim, to me, again, this is great prosecution, great investigating by using these techniques in order to drum up people to start talking. So let's take a listen right now to how this operation played out. This is from Charlie Adelson's trial. All right, let's move on to the bump. Was the bump on April 19th, 2016? Correct. What time of day was the bump? Um, I believe it was around uh, 1.45, 1.50, somewhere around there. Okay, in the afternoon? In the afternoon, yes. Were you involved in that operation? Yes, I was. What was your role? Um, I was the lead agent, um, came up with the... Uh, you know, Mike, I thought that the, the law enforcement uses military time. Uh, I never heard, you know, because she said, was that one one forty five? Was that p.m.? I mean, wouldn't we yeah. say 13.45 and that would uh, dispel all questions about time? Yeah, that was that is a little interesting when you hear that because you're you're not used to it. you're not expecting to hear that. Not for the FBI. I thought that he would yeah. use military time. Yeah. Brought the undercover down there and we uh, coordinated everything. Okay. What was the purpose of the bomb? The purpose was um, we had just began Title Three on the individuals, and we knew it had been two years after the homicide, and we wanted to purport the undercover agent to pretend to be somebody that Luis Rivera knew. Luis Rivera was currently in prison at the time, had been in jail, was in prison, and we wanted to make it seem that Luis Rivera was talking to people and telling people what he had done and possibly even want money, more money out of it because his family was struggling because he was in prison. Why did you select Donna Adelson to be the recipient of this bump? Because we we noticed the pattern of calls 
leading up to the murder and uh, around the time of the murder. Um, the calls were always Donna Adelson to Charlie Adelson to Catherine Magbanwa to Sigfredo Garcia and then back. It was always going back and forth pretty much in that order. Um, so we wanted to start it on one end and see what would happen, see if it would, if it would uh, travel that same, that same line of uh, person, people. All right, just so everybody knows, as soon as we have the first appearance for Donald Adelson, we will be moving as quickly as we can to get that to you. I have in studio with me Wayne Dennison, who's a trial attorney, and I also have Joe Richardson, a civil rights attorney, with me as well. But before I get to our two awesome guests, Tim, I just want to ask you one question. Talk to me about the law enforcement procedures, the bump, and mm -hmm. basically your viewpoint on how investigators went about developing this evidence. So the, the most important thing here was the Title III wire, right? That was to be able to record conversations. Very hard to get. It's limited for 30 days normally. You have to go back to that judge. And so what happens? They need information within 30 days. It's a time-tested technique. You do a bump. You go to one of the conspirators, conspirators, and it was two years after the murder. So you go to one and hope they talk. And, and this is, you see it on the screen. They go to Donna and see what happens, and it worked beautifully. It got all the co-conspirators talking, and what the FBI believed was the conspiracy proved to be true. They, the phone calls went one, 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 all the way down, and it was consistent with their view of the conspiracy, and it worked well. Uh, you know, Mike, it's, it's yeah. unbelievable how well this did work, and when I want to put this on the screen again. And now, of course, up top left, Dan, uh, Dan Markell, the homicide victim from 2014, the husband of Wendy Adelson, who he, this is what it's all about, his murder. Uh, underneath is Harvey Adelson, who is the, the, the uh, patriarch of this family, an oral surgeon, his wife, Donna Adelson, who many believe was the one that pushed the hardest for this murder. And then we have Charlie Adelson, who just, also an oral surgeon, who just stood trial last week and got convicted of murder first degree. And then we have Catherine Magowana, uh, Magbo, Magbuana. She was having an affair with Charlie Adelson. And of course she knows bad guys. So she hooks him up with her ex-husband, uh, Sigfredo Garcia. And he brings along with him, Luis Rivera, two Latin Kings. So, Let's deal with some bad guys to get a good guy killed. And, you know, as I said, and I don't mean this to really be funny, but they, they think this was like an episode of The Sopranos. You know, let's let's just have them killed. You know, like it's that simple. Let's just have them killed. We know some bad guys. And from what I understand, they only paid these guys like $15,000. Life is cheap, you know. Uh, and, you know, when you have people that – are not used to, they're not in the criminal world. They make such elementary mistakes, and so do professional criminals, if you can call them that. But they make such elementary mistakes that even though this case took a long time, the evidence that the FBI and the local police collected was unbelievable. Yeah, Billy, good thing there's no statute of limitations on murder. And um, you look at it, as the attorney pointed out, you know, Wendy does enjoy the most benefits out of the death of her ex-husband because all of those issues are over. Um, he talks about exculpatory evidence, and maybe there is. And uh, the fact that the prosecutor was uh, looking to get her on the stand and talk, 
um, does show that over the course of the investigation, they, you know, even people within the investigation and the prosecutors may have had some, they may not have all been on the same page as to where Wendy was in terms of the planning. And uh, so maybe it is true that the mother is, is, uh, was the, was this, you know, the cog in the wheel that made this all go down. And maybe, maybe the mother did it with her son and he's now uh, facing, you know, life behind bars now for his conviction. The one thing I have trouble with all is looking at this when we dissect it is Harvey, the father, you know, he is the patriarch of the family from, from his working and his, his diligence and his success as a dentist, as an oral surgeon, he built up that entire practice and everybody was on the payroll and, you know, and everybody benefited. I'm having difficulty believing that he wasn't somehow in the loop himself and maybe not an active participant, but I can't believe that he may not have, you know, nodded his head and assented to the hit going down. Um, I, I think he, he's, he hasn't been charged. He has not been charged with anything. Only his wife, even though they, uh, Donna, even though they were both caught at the Miami International Airport with one-way tickets to Vietnam. Um, he hasn't been charged. So we don't know. Maybe this will continue to evolve more, and we may see more of Harvey and more of Wendy. Uh, Absolutely. You know, some people are saying, I, I understand this was not a Latin King hit. It just so happened that Sigfredo Garcia, the local bad guy, right. was hired through his ex-wife, uh, um, excuse me, Catherine Maguana. Right. They just hired him because he was the local bad guy. They needed someone that would do what they wanted to be done. It doesn't, you're right. It doesn't specifically have anything to do that he was a Latin King. Let me play a little bit more of this law and crime thing. Right, Tim, before we get to those other guests, I got to I got to keep drilling you down because, you know, this case, like I said, so well. Tell me something that we don't know about that the media doesn't know about or something that you feel was underreported that you felt was really important to the outcome, the favorable outcome to prosecutors in this case. Well, one of the most important things was, um, you know, Wendy came in and testified for the third time, the defense in their opening gave this crazy double extortion theory, right? And the extortion theory was that we were being extorted by Meg Bono, blah, blah, blah. Wendy gets called to the stand. The prosecutor asks her, have you ever heard of this? She says, no, I heard about it 10 minutes ago. She goes, oh, so your family knew who murdered your ex-husband, the father of your children, and they didn't tell you, no. And they allowed you and let you move closer to the murderers in Miami and didn't tell you. No, very deprived. It, it just destroyed your case. And and then Wendy said, I don't know if it's true or not. His own sister basically said his extortion defense was was hogwash. It, 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 we always look at motives in this case. Um, did you find anything about this case that was peculiar in terms of the motive and the number of people that wound up getting involved in this twisted tale? Because it, it is, even from the standpoint of a homicide, former homicide prosecutor, a, a very circuitous and kind of different murder case than you typically get. What struck you as being different about this case? It looked like the matriarch, the mom, orchestrated this entire thing. She was more concerned about seeing her grandkids, having them relocate than Wendy was. 
Charlie didn't care one, one way or the other. He's living a fancy life, chasing young women. But it was, it was Donna. It was all Donna's doing. Look at the emails. Look at the conversations. She's telling her daughter, you need to buck up. You need to start acting. And we believe the evidence of motive. We believe it wasn't for Donna. This crime would not have been committed. And let me further ask you, with respect to McBamwa and, and other defendants in the case, do you expect that there's going to be any favorable treatment for them, uh, for any help or assistance that they gave the prosecutors, to, despite the fact that it happened after their convictions? Well, Meg Bonawa has the worst baggage of any witness. I don't know what she could do or give any testimony against Donna. Um, they had to call her because of this extortion theory. I don't believe the state wanted to call her. But she's not getting any deal until after Donna's trial. And if anybody else is charged, just remember, Donna was with Harvey at the airport. Harvey was not taken into custody. He was released. We certainly don't believe Harvey had any enough evidence against him. Um, Wendy still has not been charged, um, and we don't believe. I, I personally don't believe they have enough evidence to charge her. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about the prosecutors in the case and the agents. What is their reputation? What's their background? What's their level of uh, reputation and respect in the community? Because I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but from where I sit in the host chair here at the Law and Crime Network, I think they did an amazing job. They did do an amazing job. Pat Sanford, I know very well. I've known him for over 25 years. I'm friends with him. Um, he is the quintessential FBI agent. Focus, he's driven, uh, not much of a sense of humor, followed the leads. His agency did a great job with the phone, with the, the phones, with the cameras on the buses. Uh, Georgia is probably one of the most seasoned prosecutors. She's won a lot of big trials. I think Charlie's was probably one of her biggest um, trials. And she's methodical. She's very calm. She's cool. And I think they worked this case brilliantly. Uh, it took, people complain, it took a long time. Uh, and, and justice is slow sometimes, but it can be lethal when given time. So uh, amazing thing is that when you think that, that this murder occurred in 2014 and the persistence and the patience of law enforcement is unbelievable. And Mike, when we say there is no statue of limitations to um, homicide, we mean that. And it's it's just an incredible thing. And, and the way that they, all the tools they used in this case, of course, they must have used, they used wiretaps. They used electronic evidence, of course, the cell phone evidence is so damning these days. Text messages, emails, uh, people talking to each other, geofencing, uh, video cameras, people, very smart people. Again, we'll underline it. Wendy Adelson is an attorney. She's got a law degree. The whole family's, you know, in the dental business, they're doctors, but they're stupid. <laughs> you know, it's like you can be smart. And, you know, the old expression, I hate, I'm going to use it. Common sense is not always that common. Yeah, Billy, you're right. Uh, it's common sense isn't always common. In, in fact, the sad part is, you know, strong, I'm sorry, uh, stupidity is stronger than intelligence. Quite often, it's just, it always seems to trump intelligence and common sense. And, uh, you know, they, it was about visitation and seeing grandkids. The divorce, the money probably part was probably all pretty much finalized, you know, 
And and if it is true, if, if it is true as the attorney thought that maybe without Donna, the grandmother, this little, you know, white haired grandmother, who's probably seems like a sweetheart when you're talking to her, but nobody ever looks good in that kind of picture, you know, that, that, uh, that jail picture. But uh, without her, she's the indispensable part of this. Without her, this may never have happened. And uh, Wendy herself may not have pushed for something like this, but the grandmother may have. And, um, you know, sadly, sadly for her, as you talk about, you know, smart people doing dumb things, one of the big things that got her finally, you know, nailed is that um, she was talking to her son in in jail, knowing he's in jail. This is during the trial. And she's telling him that she's going to be going away, possibly. Um, maybe she'll commit suicide. Um, but she's going to take care of all of her grandchildren. She's going to set up a trust and she's going to get the hell out of here. And she may have even mentioned, you know, flying out of the country. And uh, at that point, the, 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 everybody swarmed in the feds into Tallahassee PD and, you know, all around Miami that I'm not sure what County, what that, where that is. Um, they all swarmed in, they got her as she's about to board the plane for like a nonstop trip to Vietnam. And she'd just be smiling and waving out the window and figuring she got away with it. And that's really sad, you know, Oh, but a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. And it just came undone right in her face. Well, you're a poet too. I, I didn't know that, but uh, well, you're you're. I, I get I get a lot from you. Oh, thank you. This is police off the cuff, real crime stories. If you like real crime, true crime from a police perspective, then you're in the right place. And if you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. If you want to contribute to us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. We also have a YouTube channel membership with count them five different levels. And you see the folks in the chat in the green font. They're part of our YouTube family, our friends, our subscribers, and we really appreciate them. I'm going to play a boyfriend of Wendy Adelson who felt that he was being set up by her. And he testified in court. I'm going to play some of his testimony right now. Did Ms. Adelson make some statements to you about her brother, Charlie? She did. And what were those statements? She asked to speak to me confidentially in a very serious tone of voice, told me that Charlie had investigated all possible options to take care of the problem of Danny Markell, including hiring a hitman, which would cost about $15,000. And I later revised that and thought maybe it was $50,000, but the dollar amount was the only thing in question. She definitely said that Charles Adelson had looked into hiring a hitman to kill Danny Markell. And when did she say Mr. Adelson had looked into hiring a hitman? When the relocation was denied the previous summer. Okay. All right. And the dollar amount, so she either said 15 or 50, you're not sure which? That's correct. Okay. And when she said this, what was her demeanor like? She's very serious. All right. So definitely not the, to be confused with the TV joke. No, I'd heard that joke repeatedly. I knew that joke. This was something very different. This was chilling, a little scary, made my stomach flip. I found it disturbing. 
Um, the joke was said in a lighthearted manner, and this was not said in that way. This was serious and said confidentially. All right. Thank you. And I want to. Okay. I think we should go from there to the next day, which is going to be July 14th, 2014, the Monday before the murder. Yes, ma'am. Did you see Wendy Adelson on that day? Yeah, she. I can't remember if I contacted her, if she contacted me, but she was excited to see me. And I wasn't so sure about that because the night before we'd had an awkward conversation at the conclusion of that night. And I had told her that she didn't want to do this anymore, that she could just send me a text and I wouldn't you know, take any offense. We would just you know, break up. Um, so I, I didn't get that text. Instead, I talked to Wendy Adelson and she was excited to see me. All right. So what did you do? Um, well, then she needed to call me back and it went from enthusiastic uh, her enthusiasm about seeing me to let's just meet at yoga tonight uh, go in separate cars so there was a real shift in about 30 minutes did you go to yoga we did we went to yoga All right. and after yoga was there a discussion about your relationship and the status of your relationship yeah a very brief one i mean yoga is not a great place to talk obviously so while we were sitting there um she seemed very cold and I kind of got the, the feeling that it was over, that, that this was it. Um, so as we walked to the car, I tried to talk to her about the relationship and that didn't go well. And so I just kind of put up my hands and, and walked away feeling sad. That this you know, I, I, I sort of, I sort of like this because it's a uh, 21st century romance. You want to break up with me, send me a text, you know, right. I'm going to go out on a date. Let's talk at yoga, you know, Oh, right. but yoga is not a very good place to talk, but he felt like he was being set up by her. And now, of course, you know, this whole thing is supposed to be about um, about Donna, the mother. But yet it really seems that Wendy is very much involved here, very much involved. And however, it appears that she may not be charged. She may have been smart. What do they say? Smart as a fox or dumb as a fox? Because she they don't have any evidence against her. But yet she knew all about this. She was involved. But yet they don't have the evidence against her. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's the strange thing. It's um, she was given immunity early on as the prosecutor, as the uh, the, the attorney in the other uh, clip said. Um, and then she's been given some immunity. So it's going to be difficult to come up with evidence that comes from a different source um uh and uh and you're not sure exactly what type of immunity she got uh and so you know, the extent of it so yeah it's sad but in our legal system sometimes you know the the ones who are maybe arguably the most guilty they don't get they don't get charged and yep. uh the other people who do the actual hit you know and the other ones the minions the minions get charged Carol Johansson, she's tried to set up Jeff. He left a day early, or he would have been driving right near the Markel home on his way out of town while the murder was being committed in a, in a similar vehicle. Carol, do you think that was purposely done? It seems like it, doesn't it? Uh, Colleen, she broke up with him the night before the hit went down. Yeah. Whoa. I think, again, she is uh, calculating. Let's see her testify. Let's hear a little bit of her testimony. Questions. Of course you didn't. You moved to South Florida. You didn't have plans in Tallahassee that got executed. Why, why were you asked about all those things? 
I, I don't know why I was asked questions by the defense counsel. The book event that you were asked about, did that event happen? Uh, I didn't speak at the event, but the event still happened. Have you had several events re related to that book that have happened? I have. And what events were those? Um, do you mean just in Tallahassee or do you mean in other places? Everywhere. Um, I've spoken at various schools about human trafficking and about my book. Um, I think there was one event that still happened in Tallahassee about a year later. And was, is that the only book you've written or have you written more than one book? I've only written one book. What was the book about? The book was about human trafficking and about the vulnerabilities that lead to trafficking, the problems when it occurs, and basically how to recover from it after. Where was the book set? It was set in a fictional town. What was the name of the fictional town? Hiawassee Springs. So Hiawassee, is it located in the panhandle of Florida? No, I used to see the name when I was driving from Tallahassee to Orlando. So it's somewhere in between. And was the place modeled after Tallahassee? Hmm. It was definitely somewhere in Florida, but not supposed to be about Tallahassee, no. Who was the central character in that book? So there's three central characters. One was one of my clients, kind of a composite character from Eastern Europe. One was um, kind of a composite character of many clients I've represented from Latin America. And one was a public interest lawyer. And was the public interest lawyer Lily? Yes. And is that the character that's sort of based after yourself? No, really more based after a friend of mine. And was Hiawassee, Florida, quote, just a small stop on the way back to what we had previously known as civilization? Is that a quote from your book? That sounds like a quote from my book, yeah. And who's the husband of Lily, the public interest lawyer? You want his name in the book? Yes. I think it was Josh Stone. All right, and what was Josh's employment? Josh was an English professor. I'm sorry, what was your answer? Josh was an English professor. A professor, where did he teach? It's been a while. I wrote the book over 10 years ago. I don't remember what I named the university in the, <laughs> in the North story. Florida State University. That sounds right. NFSU? NFSU sounds right, yeah. All right, and in the book, does Lily lament, quote, we moved to this godforsaken place for Josh's career? Yes, that sounds like a line Lily would say. All right. When you looked at page 187 of the divorce document on cross, and I'll hand that back to you. This is actually my copy. Do you see the quote that you read previously from that page? I don't. Okay. 
It had to do with, let's see if I can find it, that, that you were very unhappy in the marriage. I think it's the third paragraph there. I see that line. Okay, the wife has been very unhappy in the marriage and files her petition for dissolution of marriage in August 2012. The husband continues to characterize this as abandonment, and then it goes on to say that he had been disparaging you to some of the folks at the at the law school. Do you remember reading that? I do. Was that intended to be the place in this binder where you allege emotional abuse by your husband? I mean, I, I think it's emotionally abusive to suggest somebody has mental health issues. Okay. You know, I think they're trying to just um, obviously build her, what her background is, who she is, but she's small, you know, she's going to get away with this. It doesn't seem, well, it seems that everyone in her family did these things for her and not for, uh, you know, she didn't do anything to implicate herself. Yeah, she may she may avoid it. She's a uh, uh, something of a, maybe of a narcissist, um, publicity seeking person, and I think the uh, the whole cross examination uh, is uh, dealing with you know her ability to speak about her relationship with her husband through a character in a book, and that it was the similarities where they lived. What uh, the name of the school, uh, what what the husband did, and she was able to talk about um, emotional abuse that she felt, and uh, so therefore, you know, it's in, it goes to state of mind. What was her state of mind at the time that her husband was killed? Here she is writing a book about how the uh, the, the the main character, who is an attorney like her who's you know who's saving children and they got the abusive emotionally abusive husband and he and you make a parallel existence in her own life so it's a way to like uh release all the inner thoughts that she has about her sad marriage and put into a book form and i think the uh, prosecutor is smart to try to get that out to let people know that um you know this wasn't like don't even think at all that this could possibly be something that was random you know, this was a marriage that had been a long time in dissolution. The uh, wife was uh, was dissatisfied and the marriage was breaking apart. And so um, anything that you hear to the contrary, um, you know, it's not. This is uh, she was the one who would benefit the most from a divorce and not seeing what she would consider an abusive husband. I thought it was pretty good by the prosecutor. This is some testimony by uh, Catherine Magwana, right? Who actually got also convicted of murder first degree, and right. a murder for hire, whether you pull the trigger or not, if you can be proven guilty for it, is life without parole, or potentially could be the death penalty. Let's hear what her testimony has to say here. And that is when Catherine Magwana took the stand. Now, during her trial, she testified that she had no involvement in what happened, right? Well, now, testifying against Charlie Adelson, she says she lied. Did you have a trial in your case? Yes, ma'am. Did you testify? Yes, ma'am. You testified in your own, on your own behalf? Yes, ma'am. 
All right. And when you testified, were you truthful with the jury? No, ma'am, I was not. What was your defense when you were tried? That I had nothing to do with it. Was that true? No, ma'am, it was not. Were you in the middle? Yes, ma'am, I was. So Sigfredo Garcia was involved? Yes, ma'am, he was. So why tell the truth now? I believe that the truth needed to come out now so that the family can get some type of closure. Why didn't the truth need to come out last year or the year before or the I, year before that? I was trying to defend myself. You were trying to get off? Yes, ma'am. Did you think you'd be successful in your trial with that defense? I thought so. Has anyone promised you in anything promised you anything for your testimony here today? No, ma'am. Weren't you originally offered immunity for cooperation in this case? Yes, ma'am, I was. But you didn't take a There's a big uh, difference between immunity for cooperation and life without parole. I mean, think about rolling the dice. Right. She rolled the dice and she lost big time. Snake eyes. Guess up on that. No, ma'am, I didn't. Because you thought you could get off completely. Yes, right? ma'am. Who came up with the idea to kill Dan Markell? Charlie. When did the defendant first bring this idea up to you? My first recollection was around Halloween of 2013. Around Halloween or on actual? On, on Halloween, yes, ma'am. He got in the car with me and he asked me a question. What was the question? Do you know anybody that can harm someone? And did you know anybody that could harm someone? Yes, ma'am, I did. Well, that's something. If you can't believe a convicted murderer, who can you believe, right? But the truth is, when you think about it, her coming out and going full force against Charlie Adelson, saying, yeah, I was a part of it, but so was Charlie. It was his idea to kill Dan. It was not mine. It wasn't Garcia's. It was not Rivera. Can't say I'm surprised by that. Of course, she would want to try to get off of the murder charges and not admit her involvement. But if you think about it, admitting that she was involved is definitely going to complicate any chance she has in an appeal. But also, if Charlie really is the mastermind and the reason that she's behind bars for life, not surprising that she would want to take him down. But let's actually talk about how she did under cross-examination by Charlie Adelson's defense counsel. Pretty soon after you got arrested, you were offered to cooperate against Charlie Adelson and the other Adelsons, and you would get to go home to your kids, right? Yes, sir. And your lawyers told you about that offer? Yes, sir, they did. If you took the state's deal, then you would have been let out of jail immediately, right? That's what your lawyers told you. If I took their deal? Yes, sir. But you didn't take the offer? No, I didn't. Well, the deal was to give up Charlie. And you couldn't do that? Because in order to give up Charlie, I had to give up Sigredo, the father of my children. So I couldn't do that. Charlie Adelson didn't force you to take the deal, not take the deal, right? No, I had no communication with Charlie. Now, you know, Sigfredo is the shooter. Right. So she, she gets the father of her children to, to, to kill uh, Daniel Markell. Yeah. And I mean, there is no honor among thieves. You know, everyone involved here is a bad person. And everyone's looking at life behind bars. Yeah. Absolutely. The real reason you didn't cooperate and you made it clear 
is because Charlie Adelson had absolutely nothing to do with the murder of Professor Markell. Isn't that the case? I didn't cooperate because in order to give a, give up Charlie, I'd have to give up Sigfredo. Well, let's talk about the testimony in your first trial. You were asked, can you, do you have information that Charlie Adelson was involved in this? Answer, do I have information? I don't have personal information. Do you recall that? No, sir, I do not. You don't recall saying that in your first trial? No, sir, I do not. Would you like to see a transcript of yes, it? Yes, I will. Yes. So perhaps the jury will believe that she didn't tell the truth at first because she was protecting herself and the father of her children, Sigfredo Garcia. But as with any witness who admits that they lied in the past, particularly one who says that they lied to a jury, the question, of course, is why should we believe you now? So on this idea of whether Charlie was the mastermind or simply a victim of extortion, as laid out by the defense, we also heard from Wendy Adelson. So prosecutors take the time to tire to the crime and also dispelling Charlie's defense. When did you learn that Catherine Magbanoa was blackmailing your brother for the murder of your ex-husband? Today. And did you learn that today along with all of us? Well, I learned that someone made that argument. I don't know whether it's true or not true. Okay. You have no knowledge of it. I have no knowledge. In all the years this has been pending. In all of the years this has been pending. Your brother has known who killed your child's father and you didn't know. I did not know. How did the killers in this case know that Dan Markell was planning to leave town the day after the killing? I have no idea. You knew he was planning to leave town the next day, didn't you? I did, yes. Did you convey that information to anyone? Absolutely not. To your knowledge, did your brother have that information? I don't know why he would have known that. So if the killers were told it has to be done today because he's leaving town tomorrow, we don't know how they knew that. I have no idea how they knew that. But it would have to come from someone familiar with Dan Markell's schedule, wouldn't it? They would have to find out somehow. I don't know how. You know, it's like my parents have more reason to dislike Danny than almost anyone else. Is that what you said? That is what I said. I was saying that in the context of talking to law enforcement for hours and hours and trying to help them figure out who might be responsible. Right. And who did you tell them might be responsible? Well, I told them many, many people. But are you asking about this particular moment right here? You told them your family might be responsible. Or potentially you? someone to do with a former student or his current girlfriend. I mentioned lots of people that I thought could be responsible. Okay. And of the lots of people that could have been responsible, your family was one. Yep. Do you want the culpable parties held accountable for murdering the father of your children? Absolutely. I'm grateful they're already in jail. But not if it's your family. It's not my family. I mean, somebody hired them, right? Not necessarily. Somebody paid them. I learned something this morning. <laughs> yeah, me too. Again, I have to point out that Wendy Adelson has never been criminally charged in connection with the death of her ex-husband, but that doesn't mean that prosecutors who have laid out that she's an unindicted co-conspirator won't ask these tough questions trying to show that she knew what was happening and was a part of it. Okay, as we continue talking about some of these shocking developments from the Charlie Adelson murder trial, the man accused of orchestrating the murder-for-hire plot of his former brother-in-law, let's move on now to Luis Rivera. So investigators say that he and Sigfredo Garcia were the actual hitmen. Rivera, again, took a deal, pled guilty in exchange for testifying against his accomplices. But here's what he had to say about Katie, why the killing took place, and whether this was about blackmailing Charlie, as the defense claimed. 
All right, so do you know why Garcia or how Garcia came to know about this murder or this job? His girl. Who's that? Katie. All right, so am I correct that Katie hired Garcia and Garcia hired you? Yes, ma'am. And who was to actually come to Tallahassee to do the murder? It was me and him. You and Garcia? Yes, ma'am. But not Katie? No. So she stayed in Miami? Yes, ma'am. All right. And who was to get the money once the, the job was done? Katie. All right. And did she get the money? Yes, ma'am. Do you know where she got the money from? Do you My, know where she got the money from? Yeah, the people. What, who are the people? The dentist. I called them the dentist at that time. The dentist? Like when, uh, Wendy and her brother. Did you originally describe the purpose behind this murder as helping a lady in Tallahassee get her kids? What you mean? Were you, did you describe the, I know your purpose was money, yeah. but whoever did the hiring had the <laughs> purpose, right? Yes. And what was your understanding of that purpose? For the kids. To get these kids. Get the kids back. And do you know any more about that? Which family member did what and whose kids they were or anything like that? No, I don't think I know the kids was um, Wendy. That's mm -hmm. her name. Wendy. They're Wendy's kids? Yeah, that's the only thing I know. Have you ever had any kind of contact with any member of the Adelson family? No, ma'am. During the time that... Catherine McDaniel was dating the dentist. Were you around her during that time? I mean, I've seen her a few times. During the times that you saw her while she was dating the dentist, did she ever brag to you about the dentist at all? No, ma'am. Did she ever tell you the dentist has a lot of money? No, ma'am. The dentist has a safe full of cash in his home? No. So do you even know who the dentist is? I mean, do you know who he is here never in the met courtroom? Him, never met him in my life until today. Okay. Well, the dentist lawyers have indicated that you and Garcia got this idea on your own to come to Tallahassee <laughs> and kill the professor. Is that true? No. Not a good one. Did you kill him and then try to get Katie to blackmail the dentist? No. So you hear prosecutors trying to move away from this theory from the defense that it was Rivera and Garcia and Meg Banawa who took the initiative on their own to kill Markell. Prosecutors are trying to show that these were guys who were just paid to do a job and that it was because of the Adelsons that this happened. Now let's hear what happened on cross-examination by Charlie's attorneys. So let's briefly recap all the lies that they told you. They lied to you about the purpose of the trip going to Tallahassee, right? Yeah. They lied to you about who the lady was on the street. Yeah. They lied to you about the amount of money they received. Yeah. Isn't it possible that they lied to you about the purpose of the job to begin with? They don't even got the money. Where they won't get the money from? Isn't it possible that you thought it was a murder for hire, but it was really an extortion? Extortion to who? Charlie Adelson, not from you, but from oh, them. Okay. Isn't it possible? I don't know. So that's interesting, right? You know, it's uh, it's sort of an interesting uh, defense that the defense raised. However, with all of the other evidence they have uh, and, and all the other testimony, that it's not really believable, Mike. 
Yeah, you know, when when you're when you've got a person who has uh, had a, a long criminal history in and out of prison for many, many times, and they're testifying on the stand and uh, you've, you've got the prosecutor and defense trying to, uh, you know, get them to agree with certain uh, aspects of their cases, the way they want to see it. Um, it's really difficult for the jury to, to uh, probably figure out at what point is he bluffing and just not answering a question that he could answer um, wanting to keep it all simple or is there really more, you know, that needs to be said, but he doesn't want to say it, um, you know, or is this, you know, is maybe it's just something that he did and, you know, it was really, he was, a, he came in second because um, not Wilfredo, I'm sorry, Sigfredo is the one who actually made the initial contact and maybe his understanding, you know, uh, Rivera's understanding of the situation was actually taken from what he was told by Sigfredo. So it's hard to tell what's where the where the uh, truth is and uh, how what's the complete truth when it comes out of his mouth. Absolutely. Folks, if you're looking for a great attorney in the New York metropolitan area, then Joe Murray is your man. You, Joe's a retired NYPD police officer and an excellent defense attorney. You can reach Joe on his cell phone at 718 718- 514-3855, email him at joe at jmurray-law.com or go on his website, jmurray-law.com. Joe's not only a fantastic defense attorney, but also a huge supporter of the Police Off the Cuff podcast. Now, one of the things that we do know about this case, obviously, it's public record, is that Charlie Addison was convicted. The jury took three hours. Mm-hmm. So just think how... Sure, they were of this evidence that they came back in three hours. But there's a lot of more pieces, of course. The biggest thing and the title of the show uh, was All in the Family. And All in the Family is that this woman right here, who apparently was the catalyst, Donna Adelson, that pushed for this, pushed for this murder of her son-in-law, FSU professor Daniel Markell. And... She now, of course, will never, because she was caught at uh, Miami Airport last night, she will never be bailed because she's a flight risk. She's a flight risk for a murder first degree. Yeah. She has no chance of ever getting bailed. But having said that, I also want to listen to a little bit of Charlie Addison's testimony. And again, we mentioned in the pre-show or right early on, that when a defendant testifies at his own trial, it's usually not a great sign. Uh, and it's especially true in this case also. Oh, that, that the repairman was there that day? Yes, sir. Yeah, it's, that is a coincidence for sure. There's a and couple all, all of coincidences the, in this case. I'm sorry, I cut you off. I said there's a couple of coincidences in this case. I mean, she had people send her an email to go buy a bottle of bullet bourbon for their stock, the bar party. And she was driving to a liquor store to buy a bottle of bullet bourbon on that day at that time. And her friends email and email and evidence. Like, is that a coincidence? Yeah. Coincidence has happened. And that you might not be the right Katie talk. That doesn't seem to really 
fit with your theory of the case, does it? What was your explanation for that? Why you kept saying you might not be the right Katie? I mean, she's definitely the right Katie, uh, right? Absolutely. She knew it was. I was implying it was her. I was just trying to say, I'm not setting you up, but I need your help. On call B, your mom, you call your mom back and, and you say, you probe her a little bit, and ultimately you say, you think someone's trying to blackmail you? That's crazy. Why does it sound like this is something that's new and unfathomable to you at that moment? Well, because I, I wasn't even following what my mom was talking about on the first call. And on the second call, um, when she, she shocked me when she said that. And I'd been extorted before. Her saying to bring cash, mm -hmm. just everything just didn't sound right. Can we play clip four, please? This is from Dolce. What, sorry, from what? Clip four from Dolce. Okay. Even if they had any evidence, first words out of your mouth on this clip, even if they had any evidence, no, strike. The quote is, if you say, if they had any evidence, we'd have already gone to the airport. And I know you already testified about this, but, but does an innocent person say, if they had any evidence? Right. Katie, Katie's saying it's the police, and I'm saying that we're innocent. They're not going to have any evidence to show we were part of something that we were part of. If we didn't be part of this, we'd be going to the airport right now. Isn't it true, doctor, that they're not going to have any evidence because you were careful? No, because we weren't a part of this. You were smart. We weren't a part of this. You walled yourself off. I was the sure they're not going to have evidence to show I did something I didn't do. So we're not running to the airport. And you're untouchable, right? No, we didn't do a murder. I wasn't part of a murder. There's no reason to run to the airport. In the next clip, you're discussing what's going to happen if if this person that did the bump goes to the police and you're going through all these scenarios you know these possibilities wait if, if he goes to the police yeah the blackmailer goes to the police they're going to say where's the weapon and he's not going to know they're, he's just going to have hearsay basically someone told me they did it it's not going to be enough to, to get the investigation anywhere why are you thinking through the possibility of the blackmailer going to the cops if the blackmailer doesn't have any dirt on you to take to the cops? I, I wasn't thinking about the blackmailer. What I was trying to say is I don't know anything about Sufredo. I don't know anything about this crime. I was trying to tell her that I'm harmless. I don't have any knowledge of what went on. Like the last thing I wanted is that now that she's saying it's the police, is someone to come and kill me and think I'm some kind of loose end. So that's, that's why I'm saying that. But that's not what you're saying. You're saying if this is a person that Luis Rivera ran his mouth to and they go to the police, it's going to be worth zero because they're not going to know anything other than, hey, my brother told me this. I don't know if I was saying with someone who knows Luis Rivera, I was trying to make the point that I don't know anything. And then you suggest what they would have to do is get him to wear a wire and get the person to confess. And that's probably what this 
what this could be an effort to do, right? Well, they're, they're thinking that we were part of a murder. So that's this was the, the same thing I said before, is that this is their theory. So this is a police tactic, and it could be either a bad guy or the police. And this is this is how they're pursuing it. Exactly. So as long as you keep your mouth shut, you can get away with murder, right? No, not at all. Isn't that we what you told Ryan Fitzpatrick? No, Ryan Fitzpatrick is someone who stole over half a million dollars. That's from not me. my question, sir. Sorry. Did you say that to Ryan Fitzpatrick? No, never. Never at all. Why do you? So as you could see, um, he testified and it wasn't going too well for him because that bump, obviously, that the police did based on that wire worked and got them all talking. And I apologize. We couldn't hear it clearly what he was saying. But as I said earlier, and Mike will agree with uh, Mike, who's an attorney, that when a defendant testifies at a trial, it's usually not good news. Yeah, Billy, because, you know, there is so much evidence that the prosecutor is going to have, whether it's, you know, DNA evidence, uh, it's cell phone evidence, it's testimonial evidence from other people. And, you know, you even had one person who had testified, uh, you know, that, uh, that he was going to get away with it. You know, uh, and so uh, Mr. Fitzpatrick is, was his name. And so you're getting all you can really do is do what he does and kind of play. Well, I'm an innocent babe in the woods. I, I have no idea. So, you know, there's no need for me to run to the airport because if they even if they had something, we'd you know, we'd be already at the airport. That's like a really strange thing to say. If you're innocent, if you're innocent, you'd be like, I have no idea what what you're talking about, but uh, it was an interesting uh, cross examination because he he had to make himself seem so small and harmless in all of this when you have the telephone calls uh, after the meeting with the fake extortionist, the bump that set everyone's you know hair on fire, and now he is here at the at the uh, trial of testifying his own defense. And he's got to smooth everything out. He's got to look like a lamb rather than a scheming wolf. And uh, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. We never did anything. So how could anybody think we did anything? You know, and that isn't going to be very effective. And one of the reasons for that is the person who's the defendant, they're going to testify last in the trial after all of the prosecution's evidence has been presented. And if it's credible and it's done its job, that person is left trying to wiggle their way out of a huge weight sitting on top of them, pointing to their guilt. He couldn't do it. Absolutely not. You know, I, I, I see some of the people in the chat talking about how um, the, 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 hired, the hired killers are good guys in this. They're not good guys. They're you not. Know, they're not innocent people. Oh, they were, because they were poor and someone offered the money to kill somebody. If you're offered money to kill somebody and you do it, then you are the worst type of criminal there possibly is, you know. And you no, know, th this is, of course, is is Rivera, Louis right. Rivera. All right, he's the one that testified. They cut his sentence down to seven years, but guess what? He owes twelve years on another case, so he's not a good guy. So when you guys understand criminality, this guy is not a good guy. And of course, this is a Sigfredo Garcia, who is the ex-husband right there. Right. Of, uh, 
Catherine. Of Catherine. Yeah. And none of these people are good people if they could take money to kill somebody, you know, yeah. regardless yeah. of what the circumstances are. This is a hit. This is a murder for hire. This is the Gambino crime families. This is the Sopranos that you see on TV. And of course, the mother, the innocent matriarch, who many people feel was the catalyst behind this. She pushed for this to have her son-in-law murdered by some bad people. And there are no winners in this case. No. Everyone in this case is a loser, you know? Unfortunately, uh, I mean, well, fortunately, they found that they got the story right. And, and, and you have people that had the best possible life in regards to being wealthy and comfortable and all of those things, and they decide to ruin their lives by killing, in, in the case of uh, Charlie Adelson, hiring these guys to have his brother-in-law killed. And then the, his sister, Wendy, if she skates from this, she seems to be have a great deal of culpability. However, it seems like they have no evidence against her right now. Mike? Yeah, Billy, it doesn't seem like they have evidence that they can use against her because she's been granted immunity in, in certain in for, for in for the other trials. So it's gonna be hard to get to figure to get information that they can get from some other source that she's already that she's already testified about. And also what was the grant of immunity? You know, was it complete immunity? You know, uh, was it conditional immunity? So it's going to be really difficult to hire to to indict her because she'll have a great defense. But I, I think part of uh, as as I've been reading the chat, you know, and it, some of the people made some interesting comments that uh, the 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 hitman uh, Louise Rivera seemed more credible than Wendy and. Uh, I'm not so sure who's credible at all or whether equally incredible or equally credible. But uh, I understand what the people in the chat are saying, um, that perhaps Louise did seem more natural in his responses. But he's not. I think, he, you know, Mike, I think maybe he's sympathetic or people are sympathetic to him because he seems like a sympathetic character. But I'd like to know what. The other crime he's doing 12 years for is, uh, you know, yeah, uh, so there, there he is on the stand. Yeah, he looks, he looks sympathetic and dopey. You know, he doesn't even, he doesn't understand a lot of questions he's being asked. Uh, and, and, you know, dopiness is not a defense to anything, but he, uh, you know, he's not, he's not dopey enough not to understand right from wrong. Obviously, he's, He's in prison because he has problems with right from wrong. But um, he's, he, well, the defense was really uh, horrified that this deal was cut with him because he was eligible for life without parole. And instead, they cut him a deal to do seven years. But that came with a price, testifying against everyone. And They'll bring him back in to testify against, of course, Donna Adelson when that comes up. And, you know, she'll do the rest of her life. She's 73, 74 years old. She's going to do the rest of her life in prison. You know, instead of a life of comfort, she's going to live a life of misery. And uh, 
That's what arrogance will get you. And to, that, that feeling that you can do something like this that's against yeah. the law and uh, because you're privileged, you're, you, you, you know, you have money. You're bigger and better than everyone else, you know. Donna Adelson arrested at the airport, a one-way ticket to Vietnam. And now she's getting a one-way ticket to the state penitentiary. Uh, yeah, and just think about it. She's probably never going to, the, the grandchildren, the precious grandchildren that she wanted to see uh, for, the, for the rest of her life and see them grow up, that's over. That's over. This is a, whatever she gets at age 73, and it's, if she's convicted, it's going to be life. Um, it's, it, it's, it's it. She's not going to outlive the sentence. It's not going to be any parole, nothing. She is going to be behind concrete walls and barbed wire and wearing an orange jumpsuit for the rest of her days. And, and, you know, if it is true, she's right where she belongs. You know, Mike, and the only thing that won't get justice is this person right on the screen right now. Yeah. Because it looks like she may have those ice skates on with a sail on her back and she'll sail right into the sunset because it doesn't seem like they have a case against her. Yeah. Keep our fingers crossed that they can come up with something. Well, she she may have been smart enough to keep herself out of the uh, out of harm's way. She's yeah. she's an attorney. She knows what to say and what not to say, and she knows how to keep herself uh, out of the line of fire, so to speak. Right, right. So, um, you know, the uh, fact that she didn't handle the money, she didn't hire the hitmen. You know, perhaps. She uh, everything was entrusted to her 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 brother, uh, Charlie, um, and uh, that maybe it was pushed all along by Charlie and her mom, uh, despite speaking uh, after the bump with the undercover officer. She may have been cagey enough to, as you say, you know, to keep her uh, her skirt clean, and uh, she knew what to say and what not to say. Yeah. Carol Johansson, I liked your uh, comments. At least Lewis at Mitsu, he is and owns up to it. So he doesn't pretend to be some mafiosa mama's boy. I'd rather know who I'm dealing with than open dog crap in a nice package. Well, Good point. you know, Carol, you're, you're right in a way. He knows who he is, but that doesn't make him any better. Just, you know, mob guys, too. They pretend that what they do is OK because they're just killing other bad guys, you know. But in this case, a bad guy was killing a good guy for money. That's right. as bad as you can get to be hired to take someone's life for money as if that's your job, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I, I don't I'm not sympathetic uh, to that mutt. I'm really not. Uh, I've seen mutts like him all over New York City and during my police career. And he's he's definitely not what we would call in this world a good guy. You know, you could look into his eyes and see he's not a good guy. Uh, basically, folks, that's our show for this evening. Uh, we just really, uh, there was some details of this case that are very intricate. We we didn't have a, a great deal of time to go into all the intricacies. And the case is fascinating. Going back to 2014, and the, one of the reasons I think it's fascinating is when you see human nature and what people are willing to do 
seemingly good people, you know, seemingly, I use that word seemingly, good people, they're okay with hiring guys to kill someone in order to correct a problem that's not that big a problem, you know, Mike. Yeah, Billy, you know, people should just remember this is all about Dan Markell. He's the he's the guy who was hit, he killed. And he there's no doesn't seem like there's any allegations that he was a violent, brutal man. Um, he and his wife were going through a nasty divorce. You know, hundreds of thousands of people do that every single year, every single year. Uh, you know, this was not the end of the world for his family or for his children or for his wife's family. And yet his life was snuffed out over something seemingly trivial and maybe pushed by the matriarch of his mother's, of his wife's family. He didn't deserve what he got. Whether or not he was a nice guy or not is irrelevant. He didn't deserve what he got. And that's sad. And I think people should remember that and remember his family too, because he has a mom and a dad and he's got siblings too, who will never see him ever again. And that's sad. For sure. Patsy Klein, Donna never learned that she can't control the mistakes her kids made. Adults have to live with their mistakes, not count on mommy to make it better. Better Meddling mother. I totally agree, Patsy. That's so true. Uh, Carol Johansson. Thanks, police off the cuff. Great guests, great hosts, sweet chat, sweet mods. Justice for the Markell family prison for the Adelson family. I think you're right, Carol Johansson. Thank you so much. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I want to thank everyone for tuning in tonight. Have a great night out there and be safe. Good night. One episode, just ain't enough.